Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. If you're visiting with us, welcome. If you're back after a little while away, welcome back. If you were here with us last week, then you'll know we're picking up and continuing on. This is week two of an uh, undefined number of weeks. We're going to stay in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at four verses this morning, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Pretty familiar, pretty, uh, pretty popular passage, you know, the salt and light passage that Jesus talks about. And so when you have it, uh, when you have it and you turn there and you're ready to go, I want to hear a loud amen. All right, somebody, if you're not ready, say, not there yet. Okay, we'll wait. We'll wait. Don't be ashamed. I'll check again. Are we ready? Amen? Amen. All right, here it goes. It says something like this. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven." Father God, I pray right now that you would continue to bring revelation to your word, God. You would continue to help us to understand what does it mean to be salt and to be light. Father, I pray right now for the things that stand in our way or the hurdles that that are in front of us, Father, that uh, cause us to lose or lessen our saltiness, cause us to hide or diminish our light. Father, I pray against those things, and I pray, God, that you would free us from those things. I pray here this morning that someone... That someone, God, that someone here today, Lord God, would receive the gift that gives them life forever, God. That someone here this morning might be able to say yes to you in a way they never have before. That someone here this morning, God, would know you to be the king of their life. God, we, we honor you. Our hearts are prepared for you. We welcome what you will do. In Jesus' name, with anticipation. Amen? Amen. All right, so here we go, Matthew chapter 5, and these first couple of verses. Uh, Again, last week we talked about a little bit of this. We talked about leaning in. We talked about having a posture of the disciples. You'll remember that we talked about last week that there were many who gathered. The scripture says that Jesus saw the crowds coming, and he went and perched up on the top of the mountain. He was sitting up high. Imagine him kind of sitting down and talking down to a chorus of people. And mixed into that crowd of folks, there were some who were intimately pursuing Jesus that we call those the disciples they were the people who came in the posture of learning they were literally leaning in they were they started in the back row and they worked their way all the way to the front they wanted to be at the feet of Jesus the the concept of disciple in the New Testament as we read it has everything to do with somebody who makes themselves available to sit at the feet 
of the one who is the instructor. After that, we pick up words like apprentice. The concept of an apprentice is someone who studies under somebody who has mastered something already. And their purpose in that is to, is to literally learn by, by, by watching and, and participating in. And as they, as they absorb that, as they take it in, they begin to master that same craft themselves. Well, that's what the disciples were doing. But that's not what everybody was doing. You know, um, many of us cheer for somebody, some sports team or something, right? And, and, and we would say we're fans of something, right? Everybody put, you're a fan of something? Anybody out there a fan of something? You don't have to confess what it is because other people will mock you. That does happen, right? Like, watch, here, I'll help you understand. Who likes the Cowboys? See the mockery that happens here. See, it happens. It happens. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If you're a Cowboys fan, I'm sorry. Stop it. Stop. Stop it. There's a line. You ran past it. All right, here we go. So, so the, the, concept, the concept is that, uh, that we're all you know, fans to some degree of something. But, but some of us are like, we, we bleed fandom, don't we? Like, you know, like we, we eat and breathe and sleep the concept of what we're cheering for, right? Now watch. Who here is a Dallas fan? Cowboys fan. See, if you're willing to put your hand up in a room like this, you must eat and breathe and sleep the, the you know, fandom right there. So, Ed, we celebrate you, and we pray for you for healing and uh, all those kind of things. Um, but, like, like uh, what, the reason why I'm telling you that is to tell you this. Like, the same is true in the crowd that's gathered there to hear Jesus. There were some who were like, I want to hear everything he said. I want, syllable by syllable, I want to be close enough that I can gather it all in. Like, I am his biggest fan. And then there were some who were there who were like, yay, Jesus. And then there were some who were there who were like, who's Jesus? And then there, were a lot, and there was probably even some, some people who were gathered together who were like, why is Jesus? And they were looking kind of like, I'm not so sure about this guy. And all together, they were in the sound of Jesus' teaching voice. All together, they were in the room, if you will. Get, granted, it was outside and on the side of a mountain. But if you will, if you allow me to, they were in the room. They were there. And Jesus was beginning to teach. So here in uh, 13, he says these words, and it starts off with, you are. Now, whenever I hear those words, I think of, and maybe it's just me. I've never been here. I just imagine what it's like to go to Happy Valley. Anybody ever been to Happy Valley? All right, you know, that's it for the, anybody not know what Happy Valley is? Okay, I, maybe I'm not even saying it right, but I think I am, right, right? So isn't that the name of the place where Penn State football happens? Yes. <laughs> Alum, alum, yeah, that is true, right? Right, right. And, and if I'm not mistaken, and again, I'm not, I'm not a Penn State fan. I, I, I don't mind them. I don't know anything about college sports, but I'm not a Penn State fan. But what is their slogan? What do they chant? At the, we are. We are. We, and so whenever I read these words, you are, I'm like, oh, it just kind of triggers in my mind. Like, this is a bold and loud declaration. Like, when, when Jesus says, you are, he is not, uh, there's, no, there's no comma maybe after that. This is Jesus saying, to the crowd, I, and we mix this up sometimes because we kind of look at this as if it was pointed specifically at just four people in the room. Jesus is talking to the crowd of people. And he says to them, 
you are. Now, everything he says after that is a descriptor of what he's saying about them. He says, you are. That is a definitive statement. I don't know if you get this yet. What he says after that, when he says, you are the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth <coughs> is not the main point here. You are is the main point. Jesus declares to the people who would listen that they are. Not they might be, not they could be, not if they work hard enough they will be, not if they stand straight enough they might be. None of those things. He says, you are. Period. It's over. It's done. You are. And I guess I want to start this morning by saying this to everybody else. Whatever we're going to say after this, it all has to come in light of the understanding that Jesus has declared already that we are. He's already declared that. And some of us, we, we, we probably know enough about theology that we wouldn't articulate it this way, but our life is still shaped in the way that we might, you know, like it, that, that, that it seems like this is still true in the back of our mind. Some of us actually don't believe that we are. Because some of us are still staggering around depending upon our own abilities. Right? And so as a result of that, we're not saying we are. We're saying we might be someday. And I want to start just simply by saying to you, no, 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 no. Let's, let's erase what we've confused. And Jesus has already declared you are. Not that you might be. Not that you could be. Not that if you clean up nice enough, you will be. He's declared, you are. So the voice that's in your head or the, the concept that's in your mind or the thing that's shackling your feet and your hands back from moving forward, we need to loosen that today by simply adopting what Jesus has already declared. And we don't loosen that by working hard to break the chains. We loosen it by adopting what Jesus has already declared, that it is done, that we are. So what are we, Pastor Ray? Well, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, you could go online and you could find thousands of sermons on this. It's probably one of the more popular texts from the Sermon on the Mount that people begin to pick up and preach on. And so I don't want to bore you to death with all those things. I'm simply going to give you a couple of facts that I think are really helpful to understand what it means about being the salt of the earth. One, number one, you are the salt of the earth. You are purposed. That Jesus, when he points to salt, and he uses that as his analogy, he is pointing to something that has purpose. There is a reason that it exists. Let me kind of translate this to your language and my language about our lives. You have purpose. There is a reason why Jesus, before the beginning of time, said, watch what I can do, and thought of you. You have purpose. Now, what, part of what you and I need to do going forward is to discern that purpose. We need to try to understand that purpose. We need to ask questions about, well, what does that mean? And how do I, how do I adopt that into my life? But get this, as much as we might feel purposeless at times, Jesus has already declared that we have purpose. He points at you and at me and he says, you are purposed. You are salt to the earth. Everybody understands. Salt has a purpose. 
purpose. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But you have a purpose. There's a reason why you're here. And it's not just to be. It's not just to, to blah. It's not just to fill that spot on a few. Those are, those are helpful things too. But, but you have a purpose much more significant than that. The second thing is that you have value. In, uh, in the days of Jesus, there was a lot of bartering that happened. There was a lot of trading that happened. There was a lot of exchange that would take place. And salt would be something of great commodity. It would, it would have value. It would have trade value. And so I might come to you and say, I'll give you this and you give me that. And we would barter back and forth. When I was a kid, we, uh, we collected baseball cards. Anybody ever collect baseball cards? Come on, there you go. How many of y'all still have a couple of them somewhere? Come on, come on, don't be ashamed of it. I got a lot of them somewhere. I'm going to try to find them someday, but I got a lot of them somewhere. But, but we had baseball cards, and you know what we would do? I'll, you know, I'll, give you, I'll give you two Greg Maddox for one Jose Canseco. You know, we would try to trade back and forth, and, and you'd always try to leverage that deal. But the reason why you could try to make those trades is because, it, at least in our minds, those pieces of cardboard had, they had value, right? And so I'll give you this, you give me that. Now, this is kind of cool. My kids are beginning to understand value, and they're beginning to understand bartering. But for them, value is based on size, right? So uh, my daughter will come up, and she says, Dad, I'll give you one of those small silver coins if you give me, if you give me one of the slightly bigger silver coins. That's a good deal for Dad. She's like, Dad, I'll give you a dime if you give me a nickel. I'll, yeah, I'll do that all day. All day, right? For her, she understand value. Now, she might not understand the, the actual dollar amount that the value is yet, but she's beginning to understand value. You know, our, our, our son, our, our youngest son, Tommy, he loves pennies. I've told you this before. He just, he thinks pennies are the greatest thing in the world. And, and partly it's because, you know, they've got good size. They're bigger than the dime, you know? And so he's just like, I want those brown coins, you know, and he's running around looking everywhere for brown coins because they have value to him. And I'm like, Tommy, you don't eat your vegetables. I'm taking away your brown coins, you know, and he's like, so I'm bartering with him about eating his vegetables, right? And so value, value, we see value. Well, I, I want to I wanna help us make sense of this here. When Jesus points to the salt to the earth, he, he's pointing to something that in the eyes of the people of that day have value. It has a purpose. And it has value. And then Jesus says, you are the salt to the earth because the salt to the earth has an intrinsic, intrinsic, has a greater value beyond the immediate. And here's what I mean. Salt is meant to be something that enhances we think of what we use salt for. Pastor Charlie, last night when he was preaching down at Wissick, he used this analogy. I'm sorry, ladies. By the way, if you were here on Wednesday night this week, you know we had a great time with the ladies of our church. About a dozen ladies from our church came out for our first Wednesday night, uh, or, or our first women's night here at the church, and we had a great time, and Pastor Charlie and I cooked the food. Well, um, all, everything that was really good, Pastor Charlie made, but there were some things that, that I made, and, uh, and Pastor Charlie put me on blast last night by saying, it needed a little more salt. So ladies, I'm sorry if there wasn't enough salt on your chicken. But, uh, but, but as, uh, as he was saying, the, the concept of salt, the, the idea is that salt is meant to bring out the flavor. It's meant to enhance the flavor. And it opens it up. Whoa, that, that, that was really good. Well, well, 
the point here is that when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying to us that you are meant to enhance what's already there. You're meant to make it better. You and I need to wrap our minds around that for a second. We're going to start preaching in a minute. I'm just kind of setting the stage for it, so I hope you're getting ready. So let's go on. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Some people have confused when we said that you are the salt of the earth. They confused that Jesus was only talking to Christians. Well, i got to help us understand something like if salt is meant to, if the analogy about salt was meant to be about salvation, uh, we know Jesus couldn't say what he said after that. You follow me on this? Here, theology moment, right? Once I surrender my life to Jesus, there's nothing I can ever do to undo that. Jesus' love for you and love for me buys my life eternally. It's almost like a nursery rhyme. That's kind of cool. I wish I could remember how I said that. I'll listen to the tape. So I'll listen to it online sometime. But uh, Jesus' love grips us in a way that it can't be ungripped by my behavior. Do you get this? Some of us live in fear that I'm going to disappoint my heavenly father, and he's going to say, I've had enough of you. you got to go. That's, that's poor theology today, guys. You see, God's love for you is so great that it's not dependent on your behavioral responses to his love. His love has paid the price. His love has done it once and for all. And when we have truly yielded our life to Jesus, that cannot be undone. That cannot be undone. So when I come back to it, he says, but if the salt loses its saltiness. So Jesus saying that salt can lose its saltiness suggests to me and suggests to you that he's not talking about salvation here because we can't lose salvation. But we can lose something else. We can lose sight of our purpose. We can lose sight of our value. We can lose sight of, our, of understanding that we are meant to be people who make things better. We can lose sight of those things. And as we lose sight of those things, we lose effective, we, we, we're ineffective in, in those moments, right? Let me help us understand this way. If you take your eyes off of the prize, if you remove your attention from what it's meant for, you end up going askew. I, uh, many of you know I'm a hopeless romantic. Matter of fact, if, one of my favorite things to do, if I, if I have just pure downtime, is to put on like a hopelessly romantic movie and watch it. With or without Michelle, I just enjoy it. I just enjoy it. Matter of fact, I've helped Michelle learn to enjoy those movies as well. Like, I just love them. And, and all of you know that my favorite actress is Julia Roberts. And uh, I'm not ashamed of that. And so um, Julia Roberts stars in this one movie called Runaway Bride. How many of y'all saw the movie? Yes. If your hand's not up, if your hand's not up, I'm praying for you. All right, cool. So there you go. See you. The hopeless romantic that I am, I enjoyed every minute of the movie. But the concept of the movie is just like this. We're going to be in a wedding scene right now. There's a bridegroom who is waiting at the altar for his bride to come down the aisle. And you know how this goes. The doors open. The music starts. The bride walks down in her full splendor, looking beautiful. And, and the groom is up at the top and just waiting for, I can't wait to say I do. And he's watching her as she makes her approach. 
and she's two half, she's a third of the way down the aisle, and then she's halfway down the aisle, and she's three-fourths of the way down the aisle, down the aisle, and, and just before she approaches the steps, she takes her eyes off of her groom, and she looks at the door, and she realizes and panics in the moment and runs. And the concept of the movie, if you watch it, I won't give the whole thing away, but it happens multiple times. And at one point, they come up with a strategy of how to help her overcome this fear. And the groom stands at the front, and he fixes his eyes on his bride, and he says to her before, you know, the day before, he says, when you open the door, when the door is open, just fix your eyes on me and don't move your eyes. And he's coaching her, take another step, take another step. Come on down now. You can, don't look away. Don't look away. Don't take your eyes off of the, and just before she takes that last step, out the door she runs. In the movie, it happens simply because she loses sight, focus of her eyes on where she was going. See, and I think that part of what Jesus is warning the, the, the folks about is that when we lose sight, when we take our eyes off of him, when we lose sight of our purpose, when we lose sight of our value, when we lose sight of what we were meant for, what ends up happening is we get derailed. Now, all of you are thinking, I've never run away from anybody at the altar, so I don't really understand it. Well, number one, again, you should watch the movie. It's really fun. And then number two, you probably haven't run away from anybody at the altar, but but you've been derailed before, haven't you? Ever going to work on a Monday morning, you're thinking, I got a lot to get done today. You made your to-do list in your mind while you were driving into work. You sat down at your desk to begin to do the things you were going to do, and, and you had to pick up a phone call, or somebody came into your office, or, or, or you uh, opened a newspaper and you saw the comic section, or for some reason, some way, your attention got off of what you were supposed to be doing. This ever happened to anybody besides me? <laughs> Did anybody ever go to work and, for, and just for a moment even, just kind of look away from what they were supposed to be doing and just got busy with something else? Anybody? Come on, your employer is not here unless you're me, and then, and then my, all my employers are here. So, but for the rest of you, your employer is not here. You can confess this, right? And at the end of the day, when your workday is over, you're like, all right, I'm punching out, and you're like, hey, it was a good workday, whatever, whatever, but then what happens? You realize, I didn't get everything done I was supposed to get done. Or maybe even you ask this question, like, how did that happen today? How did, that, how did I get way over there? I thought I was way No? Okay. All right. I'll help you in another way. Michelle and I traveled up to uh, New Hampshire. Uh, it was about, about a year and a half ago. We traveled up to New Hampshire to speak at a camp, and um, we had a, a former student of ours who, was, uh, who lives in the Boston area. And we knew we had to come home via Boston to get home, and I was like, well, on the way home, let's, let's grab lunch with my former students, and so, um, so we called him up and said, hey, Ed, we're, we're coming through, and, and uh, he said, great, yeah, let's grab lunch, and he said, meet me at, you know, 1200 block of Domino Lane to have pizza, see what I did there, and, uh, and I was like, great, 1200 block of Domino Lane to have pizza, and so we, uh, we put in our GPS 1200 block of Domino Lane for pizza, and uh, we started driving, we knew it was about two hours before we got to our destination. And uh, in about two hours, we got to our destination. Kind of cool. We got to the 1200 block of Domino Lane for pizza. And it was a pizza shop, lo and behold. And so we're sitting in the pizza shop, and he's not there. And I called up Ed and said, hey, Ed, uh, we're here. Where are you? And he was like, no, I'm here. Where are you? And I was like, 
I'm at the 1200 block of Domino Lane to have pizza. Where are you? And he's like, I'm at the 1200 block of Domino Lane to have pizza. And we're looking around and we're not seeing each other. And I walk outside and I say, okay, Ed, you know, in case it's been a while, you know, I'm standing out here waving for you. Can you see me? And he's like, no. <clears throat> and I said, Ed, what's the name of the place where you're at? And he's like, uh, Domino's Pizza. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I'm at Roma's Pizza. Ed, where are you? He's like, I'm at Domino's Pizza in Boston. I said, oh, that's funny. I'm at Roma's Pizza in Connecticut. <laughs> True story. <laughs> yeah, I knew where I was supposed to be going. And my attention was, my intent was right. But because I just kind of got lost in the details of driving and enjoying the day with my lady, I, I did not notice that I was going in completely the wrong direction. And it just so ends up, I ended at almost the right kind of place, but it still wasn't the right place. And I think that some of us today got, find ourselves in similar situations where we say, I know that I'm meant to be salty, and I go about my life trying to be salty for Jesus, whatever that really means, trying to, trying to be someone who enha enhances flavor for the kingdom, trying to be someone who lives on purpose, trying to be someone who understands my value. But something comes along, and it derails me a little bit, and wherever I end up landing, when I look back, I say, how did I get here? How did I get, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do, but if I really look back, I can look back and see that one little step that took me in this new direction, and that new direction ends up being someplace, maybe close, but in my case, four hours away, not very close, but someplace a little bit skew from where I was supposed to be. Jesus, speaking to the crowd, declares, you are, listen, you are, you are meant for a purpose, you are valued, you are meant to be someone who makes things better as a result. You are not, this is not something you have to earn, this is not something that you can design, this is not something you can be coached through, this is not something that you need to invite him to do, this is something that he has already done. He's simply saying, fix your eyes on me, I am the one who gives you your purpose, fix your eyes on me, I am the one who declared your value, fix your eyes on on me. I am the one who will send you forward to enhance my kingdom. Fix your eyes on me. Don't lose sight of what I'm doing. Don't lose sight of who I said you are. Don't lose sight of what I said about you because you are. Those things are true for you and they are true for me. This is not about salvation but this is about sanctification. This is about living into our holy life. This is about living into what God has set us up for. Jesus, when he's beginning to speak, he gives one more analogy about it or one more clarity around the analogy. He says, uh, he says, but, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? We know that it can't. And he points to the, dead, to the Dead Sea. And he says, look, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The Dead Sea, if you, think, if you go back and, uh, and, and you do a little study here, the Dead Sea um, was, at one point was a flowing river. It was a flowing river. But something had happened, and, and the Dead Sea had, had kind of dried up. And what you would see at the Dead Sea was, was, uh, was mounds of salt decay. And they were solid, and they were hard like a rock. And you could literally walk on them. And everybody knew it. When I was a kid, I had a, an Atari. An Atari. Any Atari people in the room? Come on, somebody back there. Somebody was alive back then. I had an Atari. All right. And he, 
Any of y'all have any video games? Any of y'all ever play a video game? Thank the Atari for that, okay? All right, and so, so, uh, so I had an Atari, and I, I don't know why I pointed like this, because it was like probably this massive console, but I had an Atari, and, uh, and it had a joystick. It was called a joystick. It had a little red button on the side. I don't know, two hands, you know, do, 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 do. Anyway, but uh, I love to play Frogger. Frogger. For those who don't know what the Frogger is, it's, we play it still nowadays in real life. Please don't tell PETA about it, okay? Um, Frogger is the, the, the concept of the game was you are the frog, and you've got to get from one side of the road to the other side of the road. And you know what happens on roads? Cars. You know what happens when a car and a frog meet? Car wins. And so you lose. And so I, I played Frogger, and I was like, you know, boop. If you did really good, if you got across two roads, then you had to get across a river. You had to jump on like the log that was floating by and, and then a lily pad and stuff like that. And the point was you had, to, you had to kind of find a safe place to jump and a safe place to jump and a safe place to jump until you would finally land. Well, that concept goes through my mind when I think about Jesus pointing to the Dead Sea. He says, what value is this? What value is this? The only thing it can be used for now is to safely step on, to get from spot to spot, to spot. And he gives this illustration, and everybody who was there that day, they get it. That's not what it was meant for. That's not what it's purpose for, but it has lost its value, its purpose, its meaning. And there's nothing it can do to restore. The only person who can determine your purpose, your value, your meaning is our king. That's it. He declared what it is from the beginning. He goes on. He says, you are the light of the world. Again, there it is. You are. You are the light of the world. Not you will be, you could be, you should be, you might be. You are the light, and specifically, you're the light for who? Come on, read it with me. You are the light of Somebody get with me today. You are the light of the world. Understand this. Jesus looking out to the crowd. He looks at them. He says, you are. Now, here's your purpose. You're a light. Here's your purpose. For who? For the world. It is his hope, his intent, his declaration that your value, your purpose, your meaning is for someone else. It's not for you. It's for someone else. I have given you light, and that light, I have given you light, and that light is meant for the world. The world. So as you're looking out to the crowd, he says, your purpose to be a light for the world, for the lost, for those who aren't here right now to hear this. You are the one who will carry this message. You are the one who will declare it to the end. You are the one who will stand for it. You are the one who will build upon it. You are the one, your purpose, your value, your meaning. You're the light that's meant to go out and declare to the world the good news. A town that's built on a hill cannot be hidden. You're not meant to be overlooked or overshadowed. You're not meant to be something that's held back or hidden. You're meant to be something that declares, that speaks volumes. When uh, um, last year, when we, Michelle and I went to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, we headed down to, Atlanta, uh, to, to Arizona. And, uh, and, you know, so we started asking people, what should you do when you go to Arizona? Because I was like, we're going to a desert. Like, what do you do in a desert? And, uh, and it was a desert. Um, but a lot of people told us about this, this one architect 
who was highlighted for the houses um, that he has built. And it's Frank Lloyd Wright. If you ever get a chance to, to read about him, check him out, read about him. Um, but, uh, but, but everybody who drives past a Frank Lloyd Wright house, they know right away who made it because of the design that he has and all kind of other stuff. And it speaks volumes. Maybe a more contemporary example is that uh, many of you know that just this, past, uh, just this past month, Tyler Perry opened his own uh, production studio down in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, and it, is the, it is the largest production studio in the country. It's larger than any other production studios that any of the other major networks have created. Tyler Perry is the first uh, African-American production studio owner. It's a pretty big deal. So in the center, in the kind of what you might call the epicenter of his studio, he has built a replica of the White House. It's a replica of the White House in Atlanta, Georgia. It's kind of cool. It's important. They have a couple TV shows that hinge around that uh, around the White House, and so they need it for production. But he has this scaled model of the White House. Well, every time you drive past the White House, if you were to ever drive past the White House, you wouldn't have to question what it is, would you? Come on, somebody. You know what the White House looks like, right? Right. You've never been in it, probably, but you know what it looks like, right? Some of you maybe have been in it. I've never been in it, but I know what it looks like. I can sketch it for you in my mind right now. Like, I get it. I don't have to ask anybody about it. Jesus declares, he says, you are, uh, you are the light of the world. You're a town. You're, you're this big house that was built at the very top of the hill. And every time somebody sees it, they know what it's about. They know what it's for. They know what it's pointing to. They know who created it. In other words, you're not meant to be something that's run of the mill. You're uniquely made by a unique God who has a unique plan and a unique purpose for you. This is who God declared that you are. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. I mean, that's kind of funny to think about. Instead, they, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Every summer we go out to this festival in Western PA and gather together with 30, 40, 50,000 other people. And on Thursday night at this festival, they do a candle lighting time. And it's, uh, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night in the middle of nowhere on the side of a mountain, true story. And, uh, and, and, and this 30, 40, 50,000 people are there, and, and all, the, all the stage lights go off, and it's, it's crazy. And uh, you're, sitting next to, you're standing next to people, you're standing in this large crowd, but you can't see anybody. And then all of a sudden, they begin to pass this candlelight that passes from candle to candle, and everybody covers their candle with their hand, and they're kind of there's a little small glow in your hand, but nowhere else. And, and then kind of all at once, with, uh, with, with all of the awe that you can imagine it to create, they, you remove your hand from the candle, and, uh, and this light literally lights up the side of a mountain. And it's almost like daylight out there, because there's so many candles that are so bright in that moment. And I'm reminded of the power of this this image, this image that Jesus gives when he says, you're the light, you are the light, and it's not meant to be hidden, but it's meant to be something that's put on a lampstand and give light to everyone else. In the same way, 16, in the same way, Jesus declares, let your light shine where? Where does he say to do it? Come on, where does he say to do it? Come on, he says, let your light shine before others. Is your heart breaking for anybody right now? 
if you took a moment and thought beyond your current situation, is your heart breaking for somebody else to, to know the love of Christ in ways that you do? Is there someone who you know well who doesn't know Christ to be a God who forgives and a God who saves, a God who redeems and a God who gives value? Is there someone you know right now that hasn't trusted their life to Jesus and as a result they're spiraling out of control and you know the only answer for them is Jesus but they just can't seem to get their mind around it? Number one, I hope that the answer to that question is yes. I hope that for the rest of your life there will be somebody and I hope it won't be the same person the whole time I hope those people will come to know Jesus, but I hope that you will always have people in your life who don't yet know Jesus, and your desire is to be part of God's plan in revealing Jesus to them. Jesus says, in the same way, go and let your light shine before others. Go and live in a way that those around you, those who are heavy on your heart, those who you're thinking about when I ask that question, that those people are people who, whose names and, my, and, and pictures come to mind that you resonate with, hopeful that they might understand who he is. But this is what he says. This is where your lifestyle comes in. He says that they may see your good deeds and glorify my Father in heaven. <laughs> Jesus declared, you are, now watch this, you are, you are, declared by God, you are your purpose, you are your value, you are meant for something great, you are a light that's meant to be for the world, you are a light that's meant to reveal God to others. How? By the way you understand those things, you live those things forward. As you and I understand our purpose, we run in that direction. As you and I understand our value, we live as a child of the king. Uh, uh, Peter says that, that we are, in, we, we are uh, adopted and, and, and into the family of God, that we are one of the priesthood of all believers, that we have been given the eternal promise of value that can only come from God. And as we understand that, I'm no longer a lost child trying to figure out who I am. I'm no longer somebody who's confused about identity. I now know who I am. I am a son of God. I am purposed and perched for a reason that I might go forward and live a life that will be winsome for the kingdom, that someone in my world might not yet know him but might come to know him because of how they've seen me live for him. Church, I've got to ask you, what's holding you back from living for your purpose? What's holding you back from truly believing the value that Jesus has declared for you? Our situation's getting better when you show up because you're a child of God. Every one of us has to think about those things, and I want to give you a chance to do that right now. I want to give us a chance to to think about how we might respond to God's invitation in this moment. And so uh, what that's going to look like is this. I'm going to ask everybody to just be still for a moment. Kind of rest your head, rest your eyes, take a moment. And in that moment, I'm going to kind of coach us through uh, a couple of prayer invitations. Things that you might be able to pray through while you sit there in response to God. Would you join me in that? Father God, would you create space for your voice to be heard? Father God, would you create
create space to, for us to respond to all that you've done and all that you're doing. God, maybe there's someone here today who might say, you know, I've heard about God, but I've never really trusted God. God, right here in the stillness of this space, would you allow him or allow her to, to trust you? They don't have to know everything about you today. They've got the rest of their days to continue to learn more of who you are. Or maybe it's just a step forward to say, God, I trust you. I trust you to be God knowing that I'm just not. So God, be the Lord of my life. Maybe there's somebody here today who'd say, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm like the bride. I, I walk down the aisle and I get almost to the end, but something distracts me and, and before I know it, I, I veered off course. I find myself like a slice. I'm, I'm, I'm in the woods or I'm in a trap and I'm not on the green like I thought I would be. God, would you just help me to understand what I'm meant for? That I might fix my eyes back on you that you might become the center of not just who I am, but of, of where I'm going and what I'm about. Maybe there's somebody here today who's just simply saying, God, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. <clears throat> I've tried to restore relationships. I've tried to earn the right things. I've tried to climb the right ladders. I've tried to show up in the right places. But, but God, I'm doing it all on my own strength and my own ability, and, and it's, it's not working. It's not working, God. And so, God, I just simply need to say to you today, Lord, your will be done. God, I'll step back and allow you to take center stage, to be the one who leads, but also the one who I follow. But God, if I had to guess, I would imagine that many of us are here saying, God, I'm good with you. God, our relationship seems okay. It seems like we're on par. But I'm not so doing so well at living in such a way that others know about you. Matter of fact, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a closet Christian. Maybe most people in my world don't even know. Yeah, they heard I go to church, but they don't, they don't know the value that you bring to my life. So I'm like that candle on the side of the mountain where, where it's been lit, but my hand is covering the flame. It's hiding it so that the power of that light is not infiltrating darkness. It's just reflecting back to me where light to light is just light. But light to darkness is salvation. Light to darkness is hope. Light to darkness is revelation who God is. So God, I imagine that there's many of us today who would just say, that's true for me. Yeah, I'm living, but I'm not allowing the light of Christ to shine through me in my workplace, to shine through me in my marriage, to shine through me in my relationships, to shine through me with my neighbor, to shine through me in the grocery store, and even when I'm behind the wheel. I'm just not allowing God to be the light in those places. So if, if any of those things are true for you this morning, if you're in that place where you're just saying, God, I just need you. One, I invite you while you're sitting right there to simply pray, God, I need you.
God, I need you to be the light of my life. God, I need, you to, I, I need you to be the hope. I need you to restore. God, I need you. You can confess those things to God. But I also want to invite some of you, and maybe all of you, to, to take a step this morning. We've asked uh, if, if Alan and, and we've asked Sean to, to be available in the back. And they're going to be back in the back of the sanctuary uh, during this last song of worship. And they'll be back there after that time as well. And if you just need somebody to pray with you, they would desire to be available just to pray with you. They believe that God is asking them to, to continue to foster a movement of prayer in our church. And uh, they want to be available to you to pray with. And so if you need somebody to pray with, maybe there's something going on in your life that, that I've spoken about today. Maybe it's something completely different. You came heavy, heavy-weighted carrying something with you today. And you just say, I just need to get this before Jesus. They want to be available. You kind of picture it like this. They want to be the guys who lower their friends through the ceiling so that he can get at the feet of Christ. And so if there's a way that they can walk with you in prayer to Jesus, they'd like to do that with you this morning. They'll be available in the back of the sanctuary and or into the narthex uh, during this last song of worship. And after that, uh, if any of you would like to get together and pray with somebody. But just know that you do not have to go home today carrying the same weight that you came in carrying. You don't have to go home today uh, with your eyes askew. You can fix your eyes. You can re-affix your eyes on Jesus and allow Jesus to be the center again of the world that you know. Father God, I pray that you would receive this time. God, I pray that you would take the words that have been spoken and you would just uh, set them deep down into our hearts, God, that they would have value beyond this day, God, that you would continue to bring to light, literally bring to light, all puns intended, the ways in which we might step forward in this relationship with you. It is not dependent on us. It is fully dependent on you. God, you have done the work of the cross. You have done the work of restoration. You have done the work of declaring our value. You have said that we are. And so today, Lord God, I simply ask that every one of us might be in a spot to just say yes, God. Yes, God. Yes to what you're asking. Yes to what you're offering. Yes, God. And as you move upon our hearts, might we respond in prayer and in worship, and then might we respond beyond that in the ways that we live this week going forward. Father, it's to you that we'll sing this song, this song of worship, and it's to you that we surrender in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.